everybody. This is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast. And this week I have a very, very special guest, a jazz musician and drummer, Joe Dyson. And uh, he is here in Nashville playing with, at the Symphony Hall, playing with Pat Metheny. Yes, sir. And that is so good. Great to have you here. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for reaching out. I, yeah. I'm really excited to you, what's amazing to me about you is that uh, you're only 32, is that right? That's right. 32 years old, but looking at your list of accomplishments is, it's, how does a person 32 years old, a musician, accomplish that much in that short of time? It's, it's just incredible. Oh, thank you so much. Um, a lot of it just is being focused. I, I spent a lot of time around uh, many great masters, and um, I've had the, the honor to have them as mentors and just watching their their work ethic and, um, you know, their focus on staying at um, the task at hand and, and always being um, invested into their work. Um, it's definitely poured into me and um, been a great influence, so I, I, you know, I take pride in doing the same. Would you say that um, now you're, in, you're primarily in the jazz genre, that's what your whole career has been. It started out jazz, and you, you're still doing jazz fusion and stuff like that. Um, would you say that, that that work ethic and that kind of thing, uh, it kind of has to be that way in order to be a professional, making a living at jazz as a jazz player? Uh, I believe so. And I, I wouldn't just say, I mean, personally, I wouldn't just say just jazz. I think any artist or, you know, who, who chooses whatever medium that they're choosing, you have to have some type of level of discipline, some type of level of focus, either to learn the material or create the material, perform the material. All of those things take time um, and practice, you know, right. and just um, refining the uh, whatever the craft is. So, I mean, that's that's all it is for me. Yeah, that that's incredible. Um, now, uh, you you started out, you grew up in New Orleans, right? Yes, sir. And that was a big jazz kind of area, right, when you were growing up in the early, well, you were born in 90... I was born in 89. 89? Yeah, November oh my gosh. 27, 1989. Wow. So then you, your, your primarily music instruction and coming up in music would have been in the, probably in the 90s, right? I mean, sorry, yeah. in the uh, early 2000s, I would say, probably. Well, I, I would also say the 90s. So, so my uh, initial start is in music is actually from my family. My father is an organist and pianist and bassist who was very accomplished uh, musician amongst the church. And his father also played. And I have a grandmother that, that sings and um, a slew of um, cousins that play. I also have uncles and aunts that, that play instruments and have toured um, as a voc vocalist. Um, so I, I come up in a musical environment there and then being in church first, so that was, you know, the the first level of training for me. Yeah, was your was your father your your kind of your mentor coming up, and he sort of like taught you how to the discipline. And you have son, you have to stick with this. You have to even if it's difficult. Absolutely, um, my father, like I said, he's a he was a musician. Or he is a musician. He's played played at all of the churches, and I would come tag come tag along with him, sit next to him, listen to him play. And sometimes he would um, take me to church with him when there was no one there, and then we would play together. Um, he became a pastor, and so I was basically oh, wow. his his musician. You know, he would still play organ, and 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 I would play drums for him. Um, but one of the, the 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 main lessons that I've learned from him was to always be invested into you know your your passion. He's very passionate about about his work and and about his music and. 
you know anything he touches he's a you know very intelligent person very uh, well thought out and, and yes. very intentional very know. intentional so he he was more so um the first person to show me you know that whatever you whatever you do whatever you're passionate about you have to really you know maintain your focus on this and um that was the you know the first lessons and then also like he, I, I, when I at a certain point I was being called to actually be paid for gigs or uh, be paid for other churches, and before I got um, the opportunity as him uh, to to actually do it, he would veto it, mainly because he wanted me to learn um, to love it. You know, like not just get into it first for the money. Yeah, right. Which at the time I didn't understand, but like now I'm actually grateful for the lesson because, you know, I'm. No matter what the 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 scale of the the gig is, as you know, if if I love the music, then I'm going to invest all of my myself and right. and my time into it, and um, you know, it's it's paid off wonderfully for me now because I'm able to take care of my family and do all those things. So that yeah. that's like the first lessons that I've learned, uh, yeah. at least from my father. That's awesome. You know, when I was starting out back in the '80s, the early '80s, I had a bass player friend of mine who played in a local band. And he played bass with Bill Tillman, who used to play sax for the Blood, Sweat, and Tears okay, back cool. in the 60s and 70s. And he had his own band in Dallas. And I, used, I made good friends with the bass player. Freddie Poe was his name. And um, he sat down and told me one time, I was about 18 or 19, he said, you know what? He said, let me tell you something. He said, don't worry about the money. He goes, don't, don't. Don't think about like the, the notes that you're playing or the work that you're doing. It's like, am I getting paid for this? Just work. That's Just right. work, no matter what it is. He said, if it's playing in the studio, if it's practicing, if it's rehearsing with a band, if it's putting a band together, he goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, just keep working. Just keep on working. And he goes, that money will take care of itself. It'll come. It That's will right. come. I promise you. If you don't worry about the money and you just keep working, at some point, you will not have to worry about money. Money will just, it'll just come automatically. That's right. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. <laughs> and I think that's maybe what your dad was trying to instill in you. is like, don't focus on the, the dollar thing, you know, focus on just the work. That's right. And then the money will come. Yes, sir. That's awesome. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, jazz, the whole jazz music thing. I came up in country and rock and things like that, and I never quite understood how, that whole process works like in the let's say in the studio now i know how country works you have a chart and you have like a demo that you're listening to and you want to kind of create sort of this you talk about what the thing is what the vibe is going to be on this song and you try to serve the song in jazz what is the thought process when say you're going in to do a session and uh if, say it's for you know a, a piano player or something like that and they've got a song does is it sort of you just jam a little bit or or they talk about it beforehand what's the whole creative process in recording um, like a record well i will say i've run into different experiences with different artists just because everyone has different processes but the more general um, process that i've um, faced a lot more is similar to what your experience would be they would have a chart for you um some may have demos that, uh, where you can actually listen through it and you know they'll talk down the form of what they're looking for in terms of the the this the scope of this the tune itself do they have like a language like what they might say uh this is kind of like a you know let's let's go with a a kind of a um chicoria feel on this thing or a latin thing do they, yeah, do they yeah. talk do they have a language yeah, absolutely there's um especially for the drums like they'll say like this tune maybe straight eights which yeah. is 
kind of similar to what you would say a feel of a bossa or um or 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 something that's like four on the floor or yeah. you know uh rim rim clicks on the uh or rim shots on the snare just all four quarters i mean that would be similar or sometimes they may say oh, this is a um a latin groove or this may be um a straight ahead or you know medium swing or sometimes they may say like this one is more um, open it doesn't really have time they're just looking for colors especially if it's a ballad or something like that they'll they'll say they just want you to color around the the instrument um so i mean that there, there definitely is instruction um how i think the difference um i guess within this genre of music comparatively speaking to other genres is there there may be more space for the drummer to become um more involved in the creative process or, or more involved into the artistic process of um, bringing the music to life. Right. And not to say like that, you know, that doesn't necessarily exist in other genres, but right. you have more more room to um, just invoke some of your your own self. Yeah. You know, how how do you hear the music? How do you feel the music? They may say like, oh, we want you to just, you know, feel free to bring some of your ideas, whatever you hear, yeah. to this section of the song, of the tune. That's tool. cool. I was talking to uh, one of my podcast guests, uh, Chuck Fields, who plays with Terry Clark, a lot, you know, the artist. Yeah. He started out in jazz, and he ended up being in country. But he told me that one of his first uh, experiences in jazz was he was playing with a saxophone player. Uh, somewhere, I don't remember where this was, like... Um, uh, maybe in St. Louis or something like that, and the guy was just playing, playing, and he was just like playing licks and doing his thing, you know. And at one point, the, the saxophone player just stopped playing, and he turned around and he goes, "Hey, kid, just keep time, man." Yeah, that's that's important. <laughs> he was trying yeah. to impress, trying to like, oh, these yeah. licks I can play and stuff. Yeah. And and the saxophone player was kind of irritated because it was like, D just keep time. Yeah. No, I mean it's. I really, for, for me, I try not to separate. Um, the genres of music. I mean, because we're, especially as a drummer, we we have a, an important um, role to play, and that's you know to ha have good time, have a great feel, you know, have a um, a good pocket. Yeah. You know, you you basically want to lay that bed down so that everyone who's whether they're singing on top, or whether they're improvising on top, or yeah. you know whether you're supporting a, a an orchestra, whatever that yeah. is. You want to be the 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 mold that holds everything together, you yeah. know, just or the glue that holds that everything together. You want to make them feel good, a nice blanket. They just yeah. want to they want to feel good way cozy. To put it, a blanket. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just want to make the uh, make it as comfortable as possible for whoever the artist is to yeah. just fall into it and feel free to be themselves on top of that yeah um, now, I know one difference between our genres is like mine in country and that kind of thing especially coming up through the 90s everybody was you da people danced yeah to me it was a dance floor and you played in clubs and things like that but I think as jazz is more like you sit back and you drink a glass of wine and you watch you just listen and watch and absorb the music and not really dance to it but well, that's I think that's one aspect of how you can potentially experience the music. If we're actually looking at the origins of the music, the music has always been dance music. Right, I guess that's right. Yeah, back um, in the yeah, I mean twenties and thirties, and even prior to that. Um, for, for instance, like in New Orleans, it's still one of the um, the only cultures in the world where jazz is still um, 
a participatory music from the yeah. actual audience. Oh, okay. Like you can, if you go to a second line, if 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 a trumpet player or whoever the horn plays, if they play a melody, da 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 da. Usually, everybody who's amongst the musicians at that time, they know exactly what to do. They say, "Hey." You know. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And that no matter no matter what that is, and and this is like a, a moving party that you know that's happening. You have all these rhythms and all this type of stuff. So I mean, like that's like the the early origins of the music, and even as it evolves from uh, playing in the streets to actually you know being into uh, venues, clubs, and all that type of stuff, yeah. you still have people who are participating and dancing to the music. And um, you know, f- just feeling free to to be themselves. Yeah. I don't think that it it actually became a a music that uh, people would actually sit back and listen to or, or contemplate until we get to possibly like the 50s or the 60s, because now we're uh, the music has uh, taken up a certain um, style of of approach that they've been going back and forth to Europe touring uh, performing more uh, concerts where people it's a custom customary to those people to sit down and watch the music because they're watching you know classical artists and you know right orchestras yeah. perform um, so it, I mean in that vein they're probably writing you know artists are writing more music that's um, you know more obtuse in terms of the rhythms and all that type of stuff yeah. but even then like I feel like if you if you're having, no matter what the meter of the tune is or um, the style of the music, there should always be some danceable element, even if it's, and dancing doesn't mean that you have to get up and move around, but you should be able to still, like, nod your head. Feel it in your body. Yeah, feel, feel it, it in yeah, your, exactly. I see what you mean, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially as, I mean, at my opinion as a drummer, I feel like that's all of our jobs. We're always there to just make make sure people are feeling good and that they can move to it in whatever capacity that means. Wow, that's awesome. Um so uh, I was watching a, a YouTube video the other day, an old, an old film of Miles Davis back in the 60s and Tony Williams yeah. playing. And you've seen those, I'm sure. You've probably Absolutely. seen those videos, and he's just back there playing. When you watch that, what, what do you – do you see yourself kind of like – what do you look at Tony Williams playing and going, yep, I know, I've been there. That's me. I mean, do you channel his feelings there? Um, absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't say I, I see myself. Um, I definitely um, have has have always aspired to the, the level of artistry, talent, focus and ability that uh, Tony has had uh, throughout his, you know, his um, entire career. You're a lot like you remind me of a, 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 like a sort of a modern day version of Tony Williams because uh, you're a composer, you. yes, sir. which I want to talk about here in a little bit. You're a composer and, you know, a drummer and uh you traveled all over the world doing jazz and stuff like that. Uh, thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, he's definitely one of the, the top inspirations uh, for, for me. Um, Tony, most most people know him as the, you know, this exciting young drummer who joined Miles Davis Band, but he was also, a, you know, a great student. He studied with Alan Dawson and, you know, could read anything. And he also played with um, other bands be, uh, prior to that where he wasn't um, as... Um, exciting and, and engaged in, in the music yeah. as we see him with, with Miles. Not saying that he wasn't exciting in these other places, but he right. was way more laid back, you know, just really playing time and making the music feel good. And those and those uh, series with, with Miles, I mean, he's just like, I mean, he they gave him the stage and the, the, the space to actually to do that. He was kind of the engine that was spurring along the, yeah. uh, you know, these 
Because Miles Davis, wasn't he known for sort of exper- experimental, like free form, kind of like you didn't know where it was exactly going to go? Like he would experiment with things, and you were allowed to say what Tony would have been allowed to kind of experiment along with him? Is that kind of that improv yeah, type Yeah, well, I mean, it was definitely experimental. Um, I think with that group specifically, when, you, when you're talking about, I guess it's the uh, the second uh, quintet of uh, his his music or his canon, basically Miles had been playing those same tunes um, from all of the uh, from from the first quintet, t- talking with uh, Jimmy Cobb and well, I sh- it's actually not the second second quintet. It's Jimmy Cobb and then you have Philly Joe Jones and Wynton Kelly and Paul Chambers on, within the rhythm section, and all of these guys. They, you know, they're playing all of the music from Kind of Blue and then steaming and working like this, you know, this certain catalog of music. Miles just played the same songs. So when he comes to this this new quintet, when he gets Herbie, Ron and uh, Tony, yeah. he basically gave them the the, uh, the the reins to say, you know, we're going to play this music, but now we're going to find different ways of how we can arrive. Yeah. Um, at different places, it's it's always going to be the same melody. You know, yeah. it's always the same didn't, form. Didn't uh, Tony and Miles Davis and them didn't they kind of invent jazz fusion? I mean, I read somewhere that 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 was the beginning, pretty much, of jazz fusion. Yes, so know it. I mean, I would also go as far to say that Tony was maybe the f- uh, probably the actual f- inventor first. He had the first sound, the first band that he was actually putting together, but in terms of resources, Miles had the resources to record the project yeah. and have it be seen. Right, that's um, true, yeah. So then after that, you know, then Tony like is now writing more music and, you know, putting his ideas together after he leaves the uh the quintet himself. Yeah. Um he's able to to push the voice um in his in his version and you know in the way that he does it, but yeah, no, I mean that they were definitely the inventors. That would have been what in the early seventies, mid seventies. First fusion record, I would say, is sixty nine, and then oh, right. um, it basically takes um, takes shape in the seventies, like all of those great artists. Because yeah. then after Tony and Herbie and Ron, you have um, uh, Dave Holland on bass that joins the um, that joins Miles's band, and then you have Chick Corea, Keith Jarrett, and Jack DeJohnette. Yeah. I mean, and those guys are, you know, all amazing artists. I mean, speaking about like people that write and and um, that that are great drummers, Jack DeJohnette. He, I think his first record, he's playing melodica on it. I mean, just like incredible. He's a accomplished pianist and yeah. you know have really great melodic and harmonic ideas. So I think that gave him great insight in terms of playing with you know creative artists like Miles and with Keith and all of those guys. I mean, he's really a force <laughs> wow yeah. man. so when you compose you're a composer when you compose can you explain your process what do you like what have you worked on what do you do what do you compose and how do you do it well i think the first step for me is kind of contem- uh, sitting back and contemplating my my thoughts uh for instance sometimes i may be walking down the street and uh, a melody just appears and this would be for for your own project yeah or for my own for other people or uh, if when i'm composing for myself uh for for my own project a melody may appear and you know i'll try to get my iphone out and record it into the iphone set sing it in there and try to get back home and 
maybe write write the idea out. Do you play keyboards to when you write when you compose? Yes, I use piano uh, mainly for for, uh, for composition. I play. Uh, I can find different harmonies or maybe arrange the melody in different ways. But yeah, for me, like the melody may come first, and then sometimes uh, harmony may come first. Like if I'm just sitting at the piano and like a certain passage. I'll document it and and then put melody to it later. And then there's some ideas that are just uh, rhythmic, like I, I yeah. like I may hear a certain form um, of of um, music or or rhythm that you know that feels good, but it's not necessarily um, what's the word uh, conventional in in the yeah. the way that we conceptualize music at the moment. So it's just like, well, let me try to find something that works with this this idea. Um, but yeah, what I mean, program do you use? Like a, a computer program to use when you compose, when you write? Is it like do you use like Pro Tools or is mm, it Logic or something like that? Not yet. Um, the main things I've been using in terms of writing is Finale. Like I'll first start with a sketchbook, um, and then I, that's all of my my manuscript where I take my pencil to paper, get the wow, idea out. That's great. And you write and, musical notes and yeah, I write the the idea out. I feel like it. It helps me connect to it faster, um, as opposed not faster, but just um, honestly um, connecting my thoughts to paper. Because sometimes when you're in finale or Sibelius and um, you're writing, typing the notes, say for instance, if you write a wrong note, you you're hearing that note as it's also being written. So yeah. the um, the ideas could potentially be led by the computer as opposed to being led by what's in internalized what I you're see, hearing yeah, yeah. so I, I go from um, pencil to paper first and then I trans uh, transcribe that into finale there are other times depending on the style of music that I'm writing where I may track um, the idea out first um, I'm not as fancy yet as uh, most musicians so I'm still just using garage band you That's know at cool. the moment I use garage band all the time yeah, yeah. but I mean okay. it's come a long way to it. it's it really, really has, great yeah. sounds and all that type I always of stuff. wondered uh, I read somewhere that years ago that said uh, coming up very soon will be uh, they were anticipating a Grammy win or a Grammy nomination from from a song that was actually recorded in GarageBand. Wow. And, and I thought, oh, that'll be cool. That'll be interesting. To Absolutely. See. Now, I don't know whoever did it, but I mm-hmm. imagine there's probably a lot of DNA of music. Pop music that's out there now that probably has some GarageBand in it. Absolutely. You know? I, I definitely. I mean, it's, it's such... It's such an easy tool to use, and you know yeah. you can have it on your phone now. And, it you know, always people, works. It, exactly. I can't say that about Pro Tools or Logic or anything because I would always have problems getting it started or opening the program or opening a, an older song in a newer program, whatever. But GarageBand always seems to work. <laughs> yes, it's, it's especially for me. I'm you know I don't I it, when I'm going to a digital form in terms of getting my music out, I would rather something that I'm very comfortable with um, so that the idea isn't lost and, and yeah. is it wasted from me trying to figure out how do I make sure the sound is open so I can hear what I'm doing, right, yeah. <laughs> you know. But, uh, but yeah, now for me, it's GarageBand. I know that there's other programs out there. I used to use Reason. Um, I used to use uh digital performer this is like when i was in college these are programs that were available to me at the moment but right now garage band is there and you know it's it's just easy to so where did you go did you go to college in new New orleans too no i actually went to berkeley college of music um in california no in boston massachusetts yeah um prior to berkeley i was also a student at uh noka riverfront uh, which is the new orleans center of creative arts um uh, it's a louisiana 
uh, conservatory, high school conservatory, which is, you know, a phenomenal place. You know, I've met a, a lot of my peers there, and I also studied um, with Alvin Baptiste there and another great drummer, Adonis Rose, who taught there, and Herman LeBeau, who was a great drummer who played for Alan Toussaint for many years. Um, but, yeah, no, I was there and working with Donald and um, Donald Harrison, great saxophone is a great mentor of mine and then i got to to berkeley afterwards wow that is awesome and yeah. you've done so much in your in your time so far now how did you uh hook up with pat metheny the pat metheny group uh so i basically just got called for um a jam session oh really <laughs> yeah oh. pat reached out uh via email and you know he had heard of you about you or heard one of your albums well this is prior to uh, me recording I think he yeah he just heard of um you know just heard of me around town playing and he told me that he had saw me play at a few clubs around town and was really just wanting to sit down and and play like so I would um started going to his house and we played through some tunes and then he started bringing out some of his originals um and then we would play through those and finally, I, I, I got a call. Uh, I was actually performing in New Orleans at the time at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. And he was saying that, you know, I really enjoy playing with you. Uh, I would like to hear you with our pianist, uh, James Francis. Um, is it okay if I bring you up to the city, you know, during, you know, this week and we just get together and play? And I said, of course. Now, what city is this? This is in New York. In, oh, in New York. And I, I was in New Orleans performing at the time. I was, like, playing the festival down there for, that usually spans for about two weeks, two weekends. Yeah. So he flew me up on, like, a weekday when the festival wasn't happening. I came in. We played the music. And after I left, um, I realized, like, this was an audition. <laughs> I, yeah. I've never really done auditions for uh, for bands, but... Um, yeah, afterwards, I later got a call back um, later on saying, like, you know, we have a, a date that, you know, um, we want to try you out for, you know, is it, it, are you free? And I said, of course. And before we can get to the date, the pandemic happened. Oh, my gosh. So we were shut down for, you know, what was supposed to be a month. Yeah, all right. That, that <laughs> and, changed. Yeah, of course, that kept oh extending. Gosh. And, you know, you can if anyone's out there that knows about the music business, uh, you can only imagine what the booking agencies are doing at this time. They're yeah. constantly rearranging the schedule, trying to figure out how we're going to move these dates around. And while they were moving the dates, they reached out to me and, and asked, like, you know, hey, you know, Pat really likes your sound. Do you mind, instead of you just doing this one date, do you mind joining the band? That way we can move all of these dates and we can have a, a drummer locked in for, you know, for the tour. Yeah. And I said, of course, you know, I would, <laughs> of course I would love to be in a band. Now what would rehearsal situation be like for that? Is that rehearsed at all or is it, or is it just you? So rehearsal, we've had times where we would lock out a week and Pat would invite us up to his place where we really just sit down and we go through the, the music. We go through the charts just to make yeah. sure that the charts So he has a legible. set list of the songs and that's going to be the show? Or, or does he just throw them out there and say, let's put a show together, let's figure this out? Well, it's more, I mean, it's interesting because Pat has always 
looking for the next thing. Like he's always writing. He's always in, you know, inventing new tunes. Very inventive. Yeah, exactly. Very inventive, and he works hard. So a lot of a lot of it was material that he had been writing over the pandemic, and he said we're going to read through this and uh, you know see what works, what doesn't work, and then I'll after we played through the music, he w- immediately went back to change a lot of stuff in the music and then we came back a second time and we worked through some of that stuff and were um, you able to throw out ideas and things like that or was he kind of telling you what he wanted he's um he's very aware of what he wants to hear in terms of the the tune he's he's he has a very specific place in terms of how he hears composition which is actually great for me as a composer it was a you know true master class to watch him work and put everything together he's very intent um uh attentive and in um, his intention is always behind how to make the song come alive and it was really great to see because most times in improvisational music you may have like a song where you have a simple melody and the form is simple, you know, a 32 bar form or a 24 bar form, whatever the tune is. And yeah. then the next five minutes or, you know, six minutes is just all improvisation on top of the form. Wow. His music is more through composed. Like he has these sections to say, well, in this section, we'll impro- improvise for a little thing, yeah. you know, for, for and it will have only these changes. And for this moment, this would be a band thing, and we're writing all this stuff out. And That's interesting. That's you know, he's really, he, he really thinks about the whole tune as a whole. And then once that's put together, then there's like, he has a whole nother disposition on putting the show together because he's always, it's a long show. It's about two hours, sometimes three, depending on where we're uh, playing. But... And yes. the songs themselves are are they long? Are they like long in length? Uh, each song itself are like five six minutes, or are they a whole bunch of shorter? No, each song. I mean, I've played songs of his that are ten minutes long. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, you know, the, and it's and it's really evolving. It's not really, you know, the same uh, theme that you may hear at the front of the song. It's yeah. you know, it's all these different variations that's that's coming at you. It was really a my first challenge and test in terms of. Um, absorbing um, long form music um, without having to to read it on paper every night because I thought that would be um, a whole nother task just managing all of those pages right, to, know, to turn right. I mean I, I think at our first rehearsal we might have had a tune that was like 24 pages long you fold it out right you gotta yeah you got to continuously <laughs> fold pages and turn them back so it was you know it was a real task just trying to commit it to memory but because each song has its own element and its own um, style of writing and, and yeah. energy that's needed, he has a great disposition on how to put the arc of the show together by using these tunes to to tell the story. And yeah. and as the musician on who's supporting you know him on stage, I must say like even though we're playing this this amount of time and using all of this music, it doesn't feel like we're up like we're there there that long and, it, and you don't physically feel it just because how the show is organized is truly amazing that's great do you get to do a solo or anything like that does he let you take it take it yeah there there are moments in the show where i do have a solo and you know it's i'm, I'm grateful for it you know because he's he's basically opening his stage um you know to me i'm you know just still fairly meeting him you know and and really working through it but i'm you know i'm grateful for the for the opportunity and 
it it allows me different um, chances to find something new and you know investigate yeah. what else it could, it could be for the night. You know, yeah. how do you find audiences over in Europe um, to be different than here? I mean, in your experience, because you've played in France and yes, Norway uh, and like all these uh, also. Poland, is that right? Yes, that's right. Oh, wow, you really did some research. Yeah, I, I, I read a little oh, bit. It was like, oh, gosh, you've well, so well-traveled. Uh, for your age, you. for your young age, you've been uh, you've been around thank uh, you. the world. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing that I would say that's different between audiences has to do more so with the, the countries themselves, right? Um, America, c- comparative, comparatively speaking, um, to the old world like to, to Europe and, and all those places I mean it's still fairly new um, p- places in Europe they've literally exp- experienced hundreds of years worth of you yeah, know right. just history just stuff that has happened and they have way they have not I don't want to say more they just have a, a, a depth of appreciation for the arts in general so they're going to value all of the arts, like all of the the different styles of music, or and not just this uh, styles of music, but different disciplines to a certain level, to a certain degree, where they they always give reverence, they always give appreciation to the music. Yeah. I think um, the difference here in America is because we're such a new country, uh, comparatively comparatively speaking to the others, a lot of our music and our arts and, and everything, it, it happens so fast. Like we're always on to the next idea. And then yeah. once that idea has passed, we don't necessarily hold as much um, intrinsic value to the the, um, the art itself. It's just like, oh, it's, you know, it's yesteryear. Like, yeah. you know, it's it's here and then it's gone. You know, that's kind of like the like pop culture in general. Like that would be the... the um, my comparative comparison, at least, what I, what yeah. I see. Wow. So you, you've, uh, our people, I know they don't, a lot of people over in Europe don't speak English, but they seem to appreciate that music. That's a universal language right there, you know, and they seem to appreciate jazz. Absolutely. I, I would actually uh, beg to differ. A lot of people in Europe speak English, but a lot of people in America do not speak a second language. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Yeah, no. It's good I've, to know, though. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Every time I go there, I'm, I'm always humbled just because of their 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 worldview and how they you know see things. Like they're they're always um, aware of what's going on, not just in their immediate environment, but the world as a whole. Like you really become a global citizen there. Wow, that is awesome. And jazz that started out in America, right? Didn't did did Louis Armstrong kind of sort of start jazz, or wasn't he one of the very very first? Well, I would say that. Um, Louis Armstrong is our first ambassador. He's the world's first pop star, you know, who really takes this music all over the world and, you know, becomes the face of the music. But the music itself is is created in America. Um, and it's really, you know, like the first, it's the first voice of, uh, of music that's given from, uh, you know, from, I don't want to say the first voice, but it's definitely one of the first uh, styles that that's given from like Black Americans and you know to the to the world over. Like right. this yeah. is this music literally comes from um, you know a lot of different variables that that uh, that's a part of American history, of course. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, one of the first places that that we hear the first sounds is in New Orleans uh, in a place called Congo Square. Um, Congo Square is the a place where, you know, you had a lot of uh, enslaved Africans who um, were able to actually come and congregate in this in this space on um, uh, on a Sunday um, because New Orleans at the time was still a, um, a Catholic town. Right. OK. So everyone could could go there and they could play their drums, which is the only place in America where Africans were allowed to actually have a drum and actually play it. Wow. Um, Gosh. So then you have all of this culture that's that's being um, dispersed. Like you have the, the, the different sounds of the diaspora because you also have to, we have to remember that a lot of the, the people that are there are not from the same spaces. Yeah. You know, we, okay. we look at Africa as, you know, as as a country when it's a continent, it's, you know, hundreds yeah. of different, you know, countries and at that time tribes of people that are from different areas and have different, you know, vernaculars, mm-hmm. different language, different, different instrumentation, styles. different music. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Totally. So all of these people are bringing those influences in these spaces and they're putting them together. They're also putting the dance together and there's also um, other um, cultures that, I mean, of, of New Orleans, that's that's a part of that. You know, you have the, the um, Maroons of, of New Orleans, which, you know, um, our uh, my chief, Donald Harrison, my mentor, he likes to refer to it as Afro-American, uh, sorry, um, Afro-New Orleans um, culture. Wow. And that's, you know, that's basically what Congo Square was. It's just a, a, an amalgamation of everything that was going on. And then once you have these, um, once that happens, you have these offshoots of cultures that come out of that. And, you know, you have the second line that's that's born because then you st- you have European instruments that's being introduced yeah. into the city because of the And then when the they marches. started recording, actually making recordings of things, then you could pass that music along and it... You could hear you could hear a re- reproduction of it somehow. Yeah, I mean, if on the radio or a record or something. Absolutely. Once the recording is done, then it's you know, it's, yeah. everyone has the has it to their sound. I mean, that's how they it you know arrived in Europe. You know, people are hearing about what's going on. Um, you know, people even as far as China, you know, they start hearing the music and really wanting to be a part of it. Yeah. So I mean, this is. Stuff like yeah. from New Orleans, right? Like yeah, yeah, born, New Orleans born and the in New Orleans. Beginnings of jazz and yeah, that kind of thing. the beginnings of the music. Yep. Wow. Yep. Was do you think that? Um, what do you think was one of the first jazz solo instruments? Was it trumpet or saxophone or what would you say? Um, well, I would actually have to say the drum is the probably the first instrument. Okay. Um, the the horns they come. They basically come after, like I said, right when, um, you know, you start having the marches uh, being introduced. Like, mm-hmm. You know, um, you have the European instruments, uh, the trumpet that's, that comes along. The, the saxophone is really a, a, a modern invention that doesn't really come until, I think, the, the tw- uh, either the 20s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first uh, w- uh, woodwind instruments would be clarinet. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was... I'm, no, I'm talking in jazz. I'm talking about in jazz. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, no, just just based on the the um, the invention of the instruments, the the saxophone wouldn't really come until the twenties. So we have the you have the drums, you have the trumpet, and you have the uh, the clarinet that that are all together, and then you have uh, the trombone, uh, which is the first almost first bass instrument they would use to to tailgate. Oh yeah, um, right. You have. Uh, there's accounts where their uh, musicians would uh, be on wagons and they would play to advertise where they were going to be playing for the night. So that's wow. where the, you know, you have the, the 
the trombone is tailgating. Like a traveling <laughs> billboard, right? Basically, <laughs> basically traveling billboard. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I want to shift gears a little bit, talk about your practice regiment like when you practice um what is your usual thought process what is your work ethic when you when you like these days when you practice these days a lot of my practice really goes into um just having good maintenance uh, for you know my physical um ability on the instrument i don't get a lot of chance to actually sit down at the drum set so now with the tour, uh, my tour schedule, I, I really just keep a pair of sticks and my pad. Little practice pad. Uh, and yeah, and I, I, for one, make sure I go through um, a routine of stretches. Uh, and then from there, I sit on the pad, and then I have a, a, another like exercise in terms of making sure I have so many strokes on each hand. And then start incorporating uh, rudiments, um, and then just really going from slow to fast mm-hmm. and, and building that up over time and then coming back down. And then uh, now I am uh, I have a thing where I go over the, the metronome and then I play like uh, maybe like uh, 16 notes between, you know, between the hands, like just singles. Mm-hmm. And that really, um, for me, it helps before I go on the show because it gets the blood, uh, you know, running and then... If I if I have any tension or anything like that, I can work that out ahead of time before I get to the instrument, so that I'm more uh, open, more free to, to yeah. be able to move about the kit. I, I'm, um, I'm at my point in my career where, uh, well, I always have, I have been for decades. I, I have to warm up before the show. I just I can't just go play cold. I was like 20 minutes or so before the show. I'm back there doing rudiments and stuff, and my drum tech will set up my little practice pad back there. And yeah. I did a whole podcast uh, talking about warm-ups because people ask me, how do you warm up before the show? And I've talked a little bit about that. Yeah. I think f- for me, like, I mean, there's been, there's been a some time where I wouldn't warm up. Like, I would just go on cold, but... You know, when you're playing consistently now, like, you know, when you have this tour and you're you're playing every night and you're playing for a certain amount of time, it's really important to warm up. And really, you know, you can – I'm learning now there's so much damage that could be done if, if you're not warming up. You know, if we're talking about the longevity of, of playing. Of course, like, you know, I know there's a, a lot of musicians who can just hit the stage and play, and that's that's great, but – I feel like you extend the life of your uh, your career, especially as as drummers, because it's such a physical instrument. Right. If you can, you know, just spend a, a few minutes to just make sure that you're stretching and that you know you're going through some type of routine to just physically make sure that your your body is intact and and that and it's not also about what you're doing. It's about I mean about um, how you're doing it. You know, paying attention to that that part is really important. I learned that from uh, watching Michael Carvin, who's another great uh, drummer and, you know, instructor and jazz artist. But yeah, he's very particular about, you know, watching, you know, how you're sitting at the kit and, and yeah. how you're setting posture up the kit. Like posture, that. exactly. All of those things matter, you know, when you're talking about the longevity of playing. So, I mean, that's that's what's important. And then the other side is if I don't have the time to... Um, to do the warm-ups and all of that stuff, of course, I'm I'm always listening to music. I'm always consuming music. What do you, what do you listen to on a, give, on a given day, like when you're just chilling out, listening to music? Well, um, I always try to live and breathe the, um, you know, the uh, a lot of different records from Miles Davis, from the different uh, points of, of, of the bands, like I, I mentioned earlier with Philly Joe Jones, um, uh, Jimmy Cobb, who's another great drummer. 
Um, I love listening to uh, Max Roach um, in, in, in any record that he, you know, he has. Um, I love listening to uh, my new thing is uh, the Keith Jarrett uh, trio with um, Gary, Pe- Gary Peacock and uh, Jack DeJohnette. Um, of course, I love, I mean, in terms of the, the younger um, guys that's out right now, I love listening to uh, Marcus Gilmore. He's an incredible artist, and, you know, I actually happen to know him. He's a good friend. Um, I love listening to uh, Justin Brown, Justin Tyson. Uh, like, these are, uh, Justin is like a contemporary of mine who I actually had, I went to Berkeley with, and I remember watching him there. He was incredible. Um, I I love listening to, I mean, the generation um, before that is, you know, Obed Calvary, another great drummer. Um, I love listening to um, Eric Harlan and Brian Blade and all of these guys. I mean, Ronald Bruner, yeah. who's another great drummer, you know, just Do monsters. you ever go out and listen to live jazz, like somewhere in New York or somewhere? Do you ever get to catch some live jazz? Yes. Um, I like to visit Smalls Jazz Club. Smalls has an array of musicians that are, are, are there, you know, at any time of day. You know, um, there's usually like three or four sets that happens, and you can see anybody. You know, um, um, I'm trying to think of the, the drummer. I'm blanking on his name right now. He actually... Um, he has this his set. I, I used to always they used to always put me on the same night as him when I would bring my started bringing my band out. I'm blanking on his name. I feel horrible right now, but <laughs> he's a there's always a great artist that's at Smalls um, to to check out. And then also Mesro is another club in New York um, where you know it's literally the same um, the sister uh, club to to Smalls. There was also when I was coming up on on the scene, it was the Zinc Bar and. Um, there's also uh, Django, um, which is another great club, and then I would go up to the uh, the Midtown and, and go to Dizzy's and watch any artist that's there. Of course, there's also um, Birdland. I mean, there's there's plenty of places to check out. Yeah. And if I'm all, if if also if I have time and and I'm on the road, I would always find time to go to a jam session you know even if we're playing that night and we finish early like if i can you find a session a yeah I'll, I'll go to a town yeah. and check out the, the artist that's there i learned from watching uh, roy hargrove who was a great trumpeter and you know artist on the scene uh, you, you know he's he's gone now but he would come out to every session every night and even if he was on the road if he was playing it doesn't matter how long he was playing he would always find time to go to a session and it's it's important because I remember being um, a young budding artist and you know wanting to figure out how how do you put this music together and how do you um, achieve a certain level of mastery and to have someone like that to come in your space and be amongst you and then show you what greatness is and and show you how or give you some tools or you know some pointers like all of that goes a long way so i try to um when i have the opportunity i try to do the same if i can you know share with a little bit teach now i i have done some teaching um i was teaching at in new orleans at at one point at um tulane university i was doing private lessons there I've also done um, some teaching in New York. I was asked to do a master class at uh, the New School for a program that they have 
call um oh, what's the name of that program oh man i'm sorry i'm blanking out on no, everything okay. uh, but i did a master class there i actually did one in person and then I, um i did the second one um via zoom because of the pandemic yeah right yeah um but yeah and and then i've also done some other private lessons people who may call or something like that and you know i put some time aside and, and hang out yeah. and, and teach but yeah I, I think that's like another passion of mine i really enjoy um helping spark the light <laughs> for i was just gonna student. say that it's that that moment of when you're teaching somebody that moment of like that spark that that they get it you know when when someone just opens up and then you, you see it in their face you know yeah oh yeah okay you know? yeah Take Me to the River. That was the name of the, the organization. Oh, okay, right. That's the name of the program. That's at New School. But, yeah. That's awesome. But, yeah, no, I definitely I agree. Like, just watching that spark just come alive, it, it's, yeah. you know, you can see that they're after something. Yeah. yeah. And I know they're not all that way, but every once in a while, you know, a, a, you know, maybe one out of 14 kids, you may have that, just that passion and that spark. And yeah. Like, they get it. They get it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I also try to find, too, because sometimes I, I work with younger students, um, you know, and I'm talking about, like, kids, basically, adolescents, and sometimes you may have situations where the parents are pushing them in a situation where they may not necessarily know if that's what they want yet, and I always try to look at, uh, I started learning about the arts as a discipline while we think about it that way, and it's really because of the level of um, time that one puts into focusing on this intangible quality that you have to um, master and that you know that you have to put out and what happens is the, the level of focus that you get from that you it, it also you learn that you can actually transfer that to any other thing as a medium and be able to get the yield the same results wow. so I always encourage um, students that um, who may not be sure about using career uh, music as a career, you know, for their lives, they can still take something from it, still learn it, and then you know apply that to whatever they become. Whether that's a, you know, a, a lawyer, a doctor, a, you know, computer technician, or you know, you're an actor, or you know, what whatever yeah. it is, whatever the medium of choice that you decide, you now have the skills that it takes, the discipline that it takes to you know achieve whatever that you you set out for. Yeah. Um, one question I had was, are there any uh, misconceptions in the music business that you sort of have learned along the way that maybe when you were young and you were just starting out, totally different now, like something that, that you were surprised to learn in the like misconceptions, like you thought it was a certain way when you were young and then you find out the way it really is? Um, yeah, so I used to think, I mean, I think everybody who who sees music, uh, sees an artist um, on stage and see the big lights and all that type of stuff. It's just like, oh, you made it now. Like now, you think they're rich or something. Yeah, you think they're rich or, you know, or you think um, as, a, as an, a young artist, you think, well, once I reach the stage, then that's it. And, you know, it'll just keep happening. Yeah. And it's just like, no, you know, you actually still have to be after something. You have to continue to work and continue to expand and, um, you know, keep kicking a rock, keep kicking a rock forward. Because the other thing is, like, you know, society, they may look at you now for these few seconds in time, but society has a very, you know, short attention span. They, they're they on to the next thing. Yeah. So you have to keep slapping them in the face and yeah, wake them up. I'm yeah, still here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, and that's also part of why, like, having a passion for 
whatever you choose are, you know, specifically, you know, for the sake of this, like if you are passionate about drums and you're passionate about music, then, you know, you should maintain that passion and and always be chasing, you know, how to um, increase your, your talent or how to um, be after, you know, the next thing. Like, you know, yeah. one top of the mountain should be the bottom of the next. So um, you're always on to the next thing. Yeah. So it surprised you to learn that, uh, when you would see somebody up on stage, you would think that oh, they've made it, they're they're set for life, and then yeah. you learn that you know you have to keep working at it, just yeah. like anything else. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm there was a uh, to I mean to tell a joke. My my mentor Donald, one night we were uh, well, we had just finished um, doing sound check, and then we got into this cabin. We're young. we I'm like a college student. And he's kind of like a father figure because it was a, a young band of, of males. Um, but anyway, he was really hard on us in, in Soundcheck. Soundcheck was like classroom for us. And um, he was going on this rant saying, you know, you, you guys think that you, you know, that you just get it and that's it. You know, and that, you know, you don't, you never get it. So in my mind, my young mind, I'm like, what do you mean you never get it? Like, I'm going to get it. What are you talking about? And I learned now, like, that's actually like a, it's, it's the gift. Um, once you recognize that, you know, music is the gift that keeps on giving, you know, yeah. like it's not, it's, it's not something that you just get and then that's it. Because if that, if that was the case, I don't think any of us as artists would continue to do it because yeah, we're always, right. you know, yearning for what's next. And, you know, if you're constantly in that position of, you know, I want to, you know what else can this do what you know what else can this do like any you know any other artist not just in music music has the ability to constantly say well now you can work on this now that you have this there's a whole yeah. nother world that you right. just tapped into that you know nothing about and what yeah. are you going to do now so i'm I'm grateful for that now yeah you know learn a lot along the way i know one thing yeah. that uh i heard kind of recently that totally it just opened my mind up and I totally agree with is that I heard somebody say that uh, amateurs work to get it right where pros work to never get it wrong. That's right. It, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It's just like that just went. Phew. And and not to say that um, that pros never make a mistake because mm -hmm. everybody makes mistakes. It's how you how you turn that into something creative like you meant to do that almost yep. that that thing it's very intentional yeah 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 you know not everything's perfect but you have to cover it in a way that uh, yeah that's what i meant to do like i hear steve gad play mm -hmm. and i'm thinking like oh that lick right there that's probably he probably uh that was probably started out as like he wasn't sure but then he turned it into something you of know? course yeah 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 no that's it's it's very important i mean that's I don't know how many times I've been in the situations where something happens on stage, whether it's, um, you know, in our ability to control it or not, you know, now it's happening and it's changed the discourse of, uh, of music, you know, that's happening. And, you know, as a professional, as a musician, you know, you have to be able to take that moment and not be, um, succumb to it, you know, like you have to, really be able to like now make music of this and be able to to keep going it's so easy to keep it. messing up once you once yeah. that's in your brain once yeah. it's infected your brain exactly you, got, you just gotta move on exactly you have turn to it into something yeah the recovery is really important you know that's exactly it's a it's a great skill to to learn <laughs>
So what advice do you have? What do you have for um, a young drummer, let's say, uh, coming up in maybe he's in high school or something like that? My whole podcast is mm-hmm. is kind of catered towards young musicians who are thinking about going pro. What makes a professional? What makes it, you know, is it is it because so many people could choose to, well, you know, I'm a good drummer and all that, but I could work at this insurance company and make more money. And there's other drummers who are like, oh, no, no, I'm going to be a drummer. That's just like, I have to be. Like, there's no choice. I, that's just what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And that was me growing up. I didn't I didn't think of anything else. It I was always going to be, I was always going to be a drummer. It just was a matter of what band it was going to be, you know. Yeah. I was that set, just set in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. But what would you say to a young musician drummer coming up what was the best advice you could you could give especially in jazz well i would say specifically that this music is a lifestyle you know you have to live eat and breathe it every day and if if you love it you will you know and that's and that that really helps a lot like if you are constantly you know just questioning you know what it is that that makes an artist great. You know, whoever whoever the person is that you you may be looking up to, and, uh, or you may be listening to at the time, really just ask the, the uh, those questions. Like the, my one of my mentors, Evan Baptiste, he would say, ask the great questions. You know, which is what, when, why, where, how. You know, all these. So if you can ask those questions consistently, you know, you start really piecing together what it takes to actually be an artist and you have your blueprint, you know, and just constantly, you know, constantly ask those questions and, and, and constantly keep listening and keep developing yourself and, and it, things will happen, you yeah. know. Would you say uh, there's an importance in uh, being, not being just like somebody else, but finding your own voice, your own thing? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very important um, to to find your, to continuously refine your voice for uh, for sure. Because the other thing I've learned is, all of us are already individuals. There's we've we've won the lotto of life. <laughs> There's no one that's going to be exactly like us because there was only one of us that were made like us. Yeah. So, um, there's you know you can be inspired by all of the other artists that's in the world and that's come before you and that's you know that's here and now. Um, you can be inspired by it and, and learn from it and take from it. But, you know, you want to also learn um, how that um, how you can synthesize that information into yourself and be able to still um, put out information in, into the world, or put, put out a sound into the world that is uniquely you so that when people hear you, you're, you're not necessarily going to remind them, oh, this person sounds like that or this person yeah. sounds like that. You know, you want to... And 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 that's a uh, that's a process too. That's a lifestyle. You're, you're always going to you know be refining yourself. Yeah. You want people to think back and say, "Oh, hey, can you give us like that Joe Dyson sound?" <laughs> that's and, the goal. That's yeah, the goal. Right? Yeah. I mean, to be an individual, just like just like Steve Gadd and all those people that we look up to, yeah. and listen to for years. They you can actually say their name and say, "We're well, going. We want that sound." Yeah. Or, can you do that? So yeah, to be your own, have your own voice. And so uh, when you get through with the let's say pat metheny tour are you gonna put your own band together are you gonna try to tour with your your own music absolutely um i have actually have a project now um it's um, my quintet joe dyson quintet we just recorded a record um and it's out now it's called look within 
I've been touring um, a little bit on, I've been playing in the city and I was doing some gig, I mean city of New York, and then I was doing some gigs in New Orleans. I just booked another tour at the moment in Azores, uh, Portugal for the um, uh, 23 Al Gore Festival, uh, Jazz Festival there. And, you know, just constantly um, seeing where it can go right now. And then, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm planning to, to tour more with that project. Um, of course, I want to, um, all of the, the, uh, the opportunities that I have with Pat, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm open and willing to con- continue to take and, uh, and learn from. And uh, in, in any other artist that, you know, that's out there, I've been working with a, uh, a singer at the moment, uh, Lauren Henderson. We just recorded a project. This is my second project recording with her. Um, the first record we did was Musa, and, you know, I had a great time doing that. And I'm doing some other recordings with my mentor, Donald Harrison, and uh, still working with another um, uh, great artist, Nicholas Payton. Um, who's a great trumpeter and I mean really multi-instrumentalist all around um, so I mean there's there's you know a bunch of stuff I'm still working on but you know the my solo project for sure um, you know I'm still pushing that out and also getting ready to recording a, another project with the quintet and I'm also going to be doing a um, a solo uh, drum EP coming oh, out. That's great. I, I recently. Well, do you know what the name of it'll be? You haven't decided that yet. Um, not n- not yet. I recently just did something for um, this company in in New York called Least of All, where I recorded um, basically individual uh, unique tracks, and we put them. They were recorded directly to vinyl, and oh, that's great. You know, it was really uh, a beautiful experience because it was my first time actually doing something in this in this way um the, it's drums only on yes vinyl. just as drums so people would use them as loops or something or, or just like well they i mean they use it to i mean they can use it to their disposal at that point i mean yeah. that we i i recorded the the sound specific they would pay and then um specifically for that track and then i would make a unique uh track to them just um a through um a thorough, I mean, I'm sorry, a full improvised uh, track to the the record, and then they they got it and they can enjoy it, or if they want to sample from it, they they That's can. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, no, the the idea from that has really inspired this this next um, um, pursuit of a, uh, my next project as well. So I have two projects I'm working on: the quintet as well as a solo. Wow, that's yeah. so exciting, man! You're so young and. You've got your whole life ahead of you, but you've also got a whole career behind you that, you know, you've led to you where you are now. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. That's so great. Right. Very exciting. One question I had uh, real quick. Um, God, we've been talking for over an hour now. So oh. I, could, I could sit there and go for another three hours. <laughs> but um, when you travel, like over in Europe, um, what's the kit situation like over there? Do you rent, do you use backline stuff? Do you, do you actually have your kit flown over? Well, in this situation, um, with other bands that I've usually toured with, um, they we usually use a backline, yeah. and they they have the backline that's already there, you know. Mm-hmm. And and most times it's different drums at different um, you know different venues, different clubs, different countries. So you're always making an adjustment. Yeah, you never know yeah. what you're gonna get. It's like a box of chocolates. Yeah, well, it's just, yeah. We played over in Iraq, and yeah. the drums over there, 
that they had the back line was like somebody it's almost like somebody said hey my dad has an old kit in the garage <laughs> that he had from the 60s um it's, it's all rusty and oh, gross man. but but you here you go ahead and use of it course. that's what the iraq kit was like i hear you i hear you <laughs> I, I mean i've definitely usually with if it's a um Depending on the promoter, they usually let you know ahead of time, like, hey, this is what we have available. Yeah. You know, they'll ask you what your writer is, and then they'll um, they'll do the best to get what you request. As and far as then, the brand, like if you want a DW yeah, or something like that? Of course, of course. Um, like for me, and I think this is also helpful, like to other young, you know, musicians out there. I usually list all of the brands, but I, I also put them in chronological order. Right, like Yamaha. So, yeah. Are physically. you a Yamaha guy or...? Um, well, actually, I'm. I play a, a drum. Uh, drums out of uh, made out of Tokyo, um, Japan. It's called Canops drums. Or and if you look at it, it looks like Canopus. C A N O P U S. And they're you know a great company. They I think they were also um, the original makers were split uh, split off from Yamaha. Um, there was like a few other companies that split off. Is as there well. something about them that make them a good jazz drum? Uh, absolutely. I mean, they really have a great shell that mm -hmm. um that resonates really really well it's and like a jazz, solid shell the the toms are a little tighter a little higher right don't don't they pitch a little higher usually yeah if you're listening to like early bebop post-bop music like um the drums were tuned much higher in terms of um how they you know how they're placed comparatively speaking to like if you was listening to like um like a rock album from like the 80s where the, the drums dip down like the doom 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 yeah, right, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's and it's usually pitch higher because of the um, the precision that's that's usually amongst the kit. Um, but the tuning also started changing. Like uh, I guess amongst the '60s, because you have people like Elvin Jones, um, whose bass drum became a little um, the the the. The sound of the times kept kept going a little lower, just with the the sound that he was getting. Same with um, 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 Art Blakey, yeah. Like some of his drums. I mean, it, he would still crank the tums higher, but sometimes he would have a bigger sound. And then also Tony Williams, you know, he went from like those smaller kits to 18 inch bass drum to like a 22 inch bass drum. I mean, if you look at his kit from like the 80s and 90s, I mean, he's playing like really big drums. Right. Yeah. So I always thought the tight toms was born out of like. Uh, you're in a club and there's really not they're not mic'd or anything so you want them to sing a little but you want to be out in front that you know? that actually could be you could be onto something you know that that definitely and then uh, it just helps. it just is in the dna of the style you know and then when you would hear jazz music or records the drums would just be tighter yeah right. there's a there's a um a great record to check out too just to like start hearing the difference because every drummer tunes different as well um there's a great record called uh, Rich versus Roach, um, and that's Buddy Rich versus Max Roach. Okay, I think I've heard that. It sounds yeah, really familiar. I mean, they both sound phenomenal on that record. But the, if you listen to the tuning, it's actually really um, different. Um, Buddy Rich tunes his drums out really high. His mm -hmm. his snare drum is really cranked up, like you know, because he comes out the the yeah. uh, drum and bugle thing, and. Um, Max Roach's uh, snare drum is actually tuned, pitched down, yeah. and um, say, and he tunes his drums in fort, so like uh, the shell of the drum do doesn't necessarily speak too high up. You know, it actually resonates a little lower or like in yeah. mid range. So, yeah, I mean, each drummer tunes different. You know, it depends on their voice and 
um, how they hear, you know, around the kit. Yeah. And uh, I think that's another thing that as a drummer, how you can start investigating what are you going to bring to yeah, the table. Yeah, how are you going to be different? Yeah. Maybe I, your choice of yeah. instrumentation in your kit. Yeah. Symbols, it, everything. Yeah, it's really, imp- you know, it's, I think it's really important to, to start getting into that, you know. For me, like with the symbols, I know that symbols can be really expensive, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I remember playing the same cymbals for like years, but it beca- it helped me because then people start identifying the sound like, oh, that's Joe. Like yeah, you know, uh, they yeah. they know who that is, and I was able to learn how to to actually pull sound out of the out of the cymbal, and you know how really learn the cymbal. Yeah, that those those lessons also are very important, especially in this style of music because that's that's a part of your voice. Yeah, you know, it's always amazing to me how how many. Uh, things you could learn, or how many different ways there are to play the hi hat. Oh yeah, hi hat. You could you could teach a whole college course on just hi hat technique. Yeah, that's you know? right. Don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I, I I just go on and on and on in my mind about different ways that you can uh, use the hi hat in so many different ways. You know, and when we were in the studio making a record with um, with with different producers, um, Dan Huff especially, he would talk. He spoke the language of hi hats. You know, it's just like it's a little open, but not quite. And yep, you know, yep. it's just like this kind of thing. Like I learned a lot, you know, from producers of like hi hat technique and yeah. listen to other Nashville drummers. Yeah, no, that's definitely definitely important. Also, like um, this this this, you know, I feel like we're in a peculiar time because the size of hi-hats are like very there's a huge range and they're getting bigger aren't they <laughs> yeah yeah i mean zildjian just put out some 15 inch hi-hats that's what i use like 15 inches man they sound great, great too they're yeah yeah super great yeah. yeah when i went from 14 to 15 i was just like oh man this oh, is this, what i've been missing 15s. yeah <laughs> yeah they just like when you open them they just said they oh it's God, lush it's so a lush sound. yeah 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 well man i thank you so much for coming and talking to me Oh, and uh, I'm going to be at your show tomorrow at the Symphony Hall. Oh, man, thank be you. be watching you. Thank you so Anything, much. Any inside stuff I can be looking out for? Um, Is there a, what's know. your favorite song to do with Pat? Really, uh, I, I love all of them. But there's um, we we also played a sequence uh, uh, tracks as well. Like that, that's, uh-huh. And it's really interesting how... It it kind of just feels. It doesn't feel like we're playing to a track or a machine, like it, or anything. Like it really just feels like there's another player in the band. Okay, yeah, <laughs> playing to a sequencer, like you yeah, have a click or something in your. Yeah, there's your there's clicks and 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 the, the 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 track itself in the monitor and all that type of stuff. That's that's a whole nother thing, you know. It's a whole nother world. Right. So I mean, it's that's another thing why it's in, important to just have like work on your time work playing with a metronome and oh, yeah. not playing at the metronome but playing with it you know where you can breathe and be yourself yeah, right and not mind it the whole time you don't want to sound like a drum machine but you want to sound like yeah someone with good time yeah right? exactly yeah. yeah but that i mean that's i feel like that's probably a, one of my favorite moments and then, then there's a another song in in the set where we really just get to open up um, what's the name of the song that one is called when we were free when we were free where in the yeah. set is it is it like toward the end or no that one i think that one might be in the middle of the set when we were free okay yeah. i'm gonna be listening for that i'm gonna be at the symphony hall tomorrow listening to you guys cool absolutely and uh, we actually uh my girlfriend and i we got tickets quite a while back and she was the one that recommended she said hey should try and um try to get joe in your podcast wow and i'm like he's not gonna 
he's traveling and all that. And so I reached out to your management, I think, your management people. Oh, they, yeah. Oh, man. They, they got back with me, and I was just like, that was so great. Wow. That, yeah, no, uh, I'm, to I'm, have you here and that it worked out and everything, and I'm going to go see you play finally. Man, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having me, and, you know, it's, it's a, a thrill to be here. And, and um, I've, it's my first time really getting a chance to hang out in Nashville, so I'm I'm excited. That's cool. You're going <laughs> to yeah. love the Symphony Hall. It's, have you ever been there before? No, this to is my first time. Horn? Yep. First I think time. that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I've been there a few times. And, cool. Um, I've seen um, a lot of uh, where there would be like a rock band or something like Foreigner cool. would play with the symphony. You know? Wow. And it was really neat. And I've seen like movies like um, uh, Star Wars, uh, the first, uh, well, the first Star Wars movie, which is episode four, with the symphony playing along with wow. the thing. You can all just imagine you know, wow, the music that's beautiful. of John Williams. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, it's a great symphony hall. You're going to have a great time playing there. The cool. sound is great. Yeah, and uh, hopefully you'll have a huge crowd there. And I'll be in it. <laughs> Man, thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you so much, and uh, we will say goodbye for now. This has been Keach Rainwater with your designated drummer and Joe Dyson. Thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. See you. Yeah.